Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest on this episode, we've got Isaac Lockage, a walleye tournament angler. It's the first time having Isaac on. He's a Wisconsin native. Many of you have probably heard his name. Isaac is, uh, you know, he's definitely one of these cutting edge guys that's been spending a lot of time on forward sonar, cashing a lot of big checks in the tournament scene. And, you know, more recently, you'll see Isaac fishing the NWT circuit. He also, uh, you know, fish the MWC and the AM circuits and, and just all kinds of derbies. And in this conversation, we get to know Isaac a little bit and what makes him tick. But, you know, he, Isaac was one of the first guys, you know, me personally, he's one of the first guys that I saw utilizing forward sonar on a high level in the tournament scene. And, you know, similar to the way that it is used now as far as looking at fish, casting at fish, um, utilizing it to break down water and being efficient with it, um, you know, seeing somebody up on their bow mount, you know, the cable drive, seeing somebody up on their bow mount, uh, you know, looking at specific fish or, or looking, uh, you know, at structure and making those precision casts, kind of like you see it today. And, and Isaac was one of the first to, that I saw doing it like that a few years ago. And so I wanted to have Isaac on to talk about, have a forward sonar conversation and really just go back and try to, you know, depict that timeline or detail the timeline, the series of events that really brought Isaac up and, and, and what the big learning experiences were for him and just some of those memories of, you know, those light bulb moments when he was building his skills and building his confidence uh, in forward sonar and we get a lot of great takeaways in this and Isaac you know he's an ambassador in the industry he's a young guy but he's done a whole lot he's got a lot of great accolades um, you know just because he fishes hard he puts a lot of time on the water so his opinions they may or may not be different than a lot of other people uh, but the beauty of that is you know Isaac is one of those guys that spends a lot of time on the water and his opinions come from a place of just you know extensive experience fishing a lot of tournaments guiding uh, recreational fishing, just putting the hours in as much as he possibly can, and he utilizes this new technology. And so, yeah, we're gonna just break down all the things that he's learned, how he learned, the skills that he's developed, and yeah, I just really enjoyed this conversation. Isaac is definitely a fishing nut. Uh, he spends a lot of time on the water, and there's no replacement for that. And uh, yeah, some really, really, really great takeaways here with Isaac Lockage having him on for the first time. He's a Wisconsin guy. We're talking forward sonar. Let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, Remember to do your part in protecting the herd, and that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider. If you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link. That is gf.nd.gov slash cwd 
That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. If you have any fishing memory or a fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizzavi from Rizzavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizzaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. How did you get into fishing, man? Let's start there. What's your fishing story? My, You know, my fishing story, I, I started fishing at a very young age. Um, you know, I, I started fishing probably at two years old, three years old at the very latest kind of thing. Probably about as soon as I could hold a, a cane pole or some sort of fishing pole by myself. Um, you know, my dad and grandpa had me out either on the dock at my grandparents' house or in the boat fishing someplace. Um, one of the earliest pictures of me participating in some sort of fishing activity was I was, I think, nine months old and my dad's backpack while he was fly fishing in Yellowstone National Park. So, like, you know, fishing's been a day one thing for me, no doubt. Like, how do you progress from being in your dad's backpack, fly fishing, you know, on Yellowstone to where you're at today, man. Give me, give me that timeline. Give me some of the big events happening in your life um, for that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I grew up in Southeastern Wisconsin. Um, You know, part of that, you know, we were my, uh, we lived in the Southern part of the state and then my grandparents lived in the Northern part of the state. So, you know, growing up through childhood, we were always taking trips up North and then, you know, my dad and grandpa, their, their fishing interests definitely centered around walleye um so when we'd go up north you know we were always targeting the the northern wisconsin lakes for walleye fishing you know basically opening weekend you know first weekend in may first saturday in may is opening of fishing in wisconsin and you know that was kind of the traditional thing was you know go up there and do that And, and even prior to that like you know the more traditional side of walleye fishing in wisconsin is spring river fishing on you know the wolf river system um or, or the, you know, Fox River leading into Green Bay. And, uh, you know, kind of cut my teeth probably, yeah, I, I bet you, I, I distinctly remember, you know, while I was fishing with my dad, probably on the boat, yeah, I was probably three or four. Probably whenever I was out of diapers was probably when my dad would allow would have allowed me to come with. Um, I'm sure he didn't want to deal with that, but... Um, <laughs> You know, like it, it, it was, it was a very early start and then, and then it just generally progressed, you know, as I grew up and went through, you know, elementary school and middle school, just, you know, taking trips with my family across the country and fishing different places and, you know, running around with my bike to farm ponds and just all that stuff, you know, it, it's always been there. And then it, it, it just progressed, you know, more and more as I grew older where, you know, I got into high school and, um, you know, we were starting, you know, me and my buddies were, you know, you're starting to get your first boats, you know, your little 12 foot, you know, rowboat or your 14 foot John boat with a mud motor or something on it. And, you know, we're taking them and started kind of fishing, you know, just some local little Tuesday night league stuff, um, mainly actually for muskies, you know, I kind of 
through my life, I've gone through these kicks of like different species that I've really become obsessed with and targeted, you know, for a specific duration of time, whatever that may be. You know, sometimes it was a year I was obsessed with something and then, you know, there's times where now, you know, I've been fishing walleyes very very regularly for you know six eight years now but you know it it progressed through these you know these changes of targeting different species and you know doing all these different little derbies you know little bass event here and a musky event and an ice fishing derby and you know it, it was right around it would have been like 2015 or 2016 um, one of my buddies was like hey like i i'd never fished a walleye tournament specifically like there was always like the ice derbies we did always had like a walleye category, but we never really caught them through the ice or targeted them necessarily. So like we ended up, you know, in 15 or 16, we, my buddy asked me like, Hey, like wanted to do a walleye event. I was like, sure. So we did one and you know, it was some little bar league tournament on Winnebago. And we, we took like a top, I don't know, 15 out of 25 boats or something. We were all stoked about it. So then we did another one and that one we actually did pretty good. You know, out of 20 boats, I think we took fourth place. So then like two weeks from there, there's one of the biggest tournaments in Wisconsin is the battle on Bago. And it's, uh, it's right around 360 boats that fish it, um, on father's day weekend every year. And we got into it me and my buddy and, we went and we fished and, you know, we took like a hundred out of 360 boats. So, like, you know, we had this little bit of moment, not momentum, but just a little bit of success in our first year, what we viewed as success. And, and from there, it's kind of just all history. You know, the next year, um, well, that fall, I, I purchased a, a better size boat, you know, a 18 foot walleye boat. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to start fishing tournaments maybe a little bit more seriously. So, I, I, it would have been 16 when I first started walleye tournaments. Cause then 2017 was the first year that I fished tournaments out of my own boat. Um, I fished the aim series and, you know, kind of had some decent success there. And from there, it's kind of all history, you know, the following year, 2018, uh, went and did the master walleye circuit, uh, with a good buddy of mine, Max. And we ended up, uh, you know, taking team of the year in the first year traveling, you know, the country and went back to back in 19 and then, you know, 20 fished a bunch of different stuff and had success. And then 21, I had an angler of the year. And then, you know, from there, it's just, you know, now it's my full-time gig. I, I, I went full-time fishing, you know, as a living in 2021. And I, I kind of really have never looked back. Forward sonar in your tournament career since it came out, you were one of the first guys that I saw, you know, and, and you know, that that's just me, um, you know, just being a fan of, of high level tournaments. But you were one of the first guys that I saw utilizing it th- super effectively, like like you you were you were dissecting. You were, you know, just sniping fish. You were you were casting at individual fish and doing it um, with a camera on you. Um, you know, you were like the first guy that I saw doing it. So my question is, you know, how, where, where do we start with this? Tell me, you know, going back to the stories along the same lines you were just telling, but talk to me about it in a sense of uh, forward sonar, your fishing career with forward sonar. I want to hear like, um, 
you know, what are, what was your first uh, introduction to it? What were those conversations like? What year was it? Like, like what was some of the first fishing? Like, start me at the beginning. I really want to hear your fishing stories as it pertains to forward sonar. I've been actually, I mean, I'll attribute, you know, a ton of my success in fishing based on forward sonar. You know, it's obviously changed the way that anglers approach bodies of water definitely and fish. Um, It's kind of been the hot topic over the last couple months, you know, from the elite series to the national wallet tour, you know, this forward facing sonar and like, what's too far and what's not and you know i i come from the very beginning of it um 2018 was the first time i touched like a live sonar unit um it would have been the original p22 transducer from garmin uh was like the first live transducer that i ever like played with or did it in like it was you know i forget which one of my buddies had it. someone had it and I, i played with it a little bit and like Oh, that's kind of cool. You can watch your jig moving around a little bit, and you know, but didn't really understand it, or ha- I didn't have enough time with it to to really try to learn it as well as I could have. Like, I I think I've like one of the first fish I ever caught on live sonar was like it was like a sheep's head, and I was like, well, that's kind of cool, but like just never really put the pieces of the puzzle together right away um, until you know spring of twenty nineteen. Max had just got the LV32, um, you know, and it was kind of like, you know, like, you know, coming from some of the gear junkie guys that were, you know, buddy buddies with at that time, they're like, you got to really, you know, pay attention to this, like learn this. And we are like, okay, like, so, you know, we we're looking at it and I, I remember we were, we we're on the Detroit river and we're, you know, Detroit river's, typical thing back then that was 2019 we were there for the mwc you know vertical jigging right like you just one ounce jig head a fluke tip it with a minnow and go bounce along bottom as you drift with current you know pick certain drifts and you just fish and you know do some 2d and stuff like that and you know we were using utilizing sonar but not not at the level we do today but you, you know, I, I remember going to the front of the boat. Max was on a phone call with someone, and I'm like, kind of playing with the graphs a little bit because I didn't have Garmin's at the time. I, I was running a different brand, and uh, I'm going through and I'm like looking at different settings and just kind of playing with them. And all of a sudden, I stumble onto you know this panoptic screen or whatever they called it at the time. I think it was panoptics at the time is what the screen click on, like at the logo thing was. So I click on it and up pops this screen. I'm just kind of watching and like, that's kind of interesting. Like this looks pretty cool. And I'm like, as I'm like just jigging, I'm watching the screen. Well, and every time I'm jigging, I'm seeing this little white dot that's going up and down. I'm like, that's my jig again. And then it kind of clicked that this is like the same thing I was playing with the previous like fall. I'm like, oh, like that's my jig. So I'm watching my jig, and as it's jigging, I see this mark come in on the jig, and all of a sudden, thump, I get bit, and I set the hook, and I watch it come up, and I reel up, you know, whatever, 18-inch walleye. I was just like, oh, my God, like I just watched that happen. So I drop a jig back down, and, you know, I'm playing with it some more, and, like, I'm starting to realize that, like, okay, I can see my jig, I can see fish, and then I'm starting to recognize that I can see the shape of the fish. Like, I can actually tell 
like which end of the fish is the tail, which end is the, you know, head. And I can see which direction they're swimming. So I'm like picking all this up and it's all just kind of slowly registering in my head. And I'm like, just kind of slowly putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Well, again, so this is Max's boat. Well, we go and we fish the tournament. We, we didn't even really use it in the tournament. You know, we played with it that day and then we just kind of stopped. Well, you know, Max and I were tournament partners, but we were also fishing a bunch of tournaments on our own. So, you know, we go through probably a two month lull of where Max and I just, we didn't have a tournament that we were fishing together. So I hadn't, you know, I hadn't taken the jump to go and purchase one yet. He was, you know, off doing other events and stuff. And, you know, we kind of got back together and he's like, dude, I kind of learned some stuff on Mille Lacs while he was up there for another tournament. So, you know, we started playing with it on green Bay that summer. And and that was really where the learning curve took off of where we, we started to understand that it it was directionally facing. We could point it in a direction and, and look out away from the boat and be like, Oh, that look, that's a pot of fish. And then we could, you know, put a presentation on those fish and then get bites. And, you know, at first it was, there's fish over there, and we'd cast them and we'd just fish. And then from there, it, it evolved that fall. So probably the, the first tournament win that I think either Max and I had based on live scope was Leech Lake in 2019. And we were targeting suspended fish in like 12 to 15 feet of water that were targeting ball like bait balls and like groups of shiners. And and we were actually like at that point of the year, we had both got, I had had a unit now too. So like we were both getting really good at it and we were getting to the point where we could cast, watch our jig sink and then watch a fish react and then actually start to like change our cadences and stuff in order to like meet the fish's behavioral, you know, aspects of the moment right because like every time you fish with live sonar like no two fish act the same they're they always are doing something different you know it's not just like there's not a blanket you cast out a fish you jig it three times and they hit it you know what i mean like every fish reacts differently they chase differently they you know some fish are going to be really aggressive some fish are going to be really neutral like so we have slowly started learning that and then you know since then it's just been a progression of you know okay what types of situations can we use this in where can we use it how can we utilize it you know in rivers how do we use it in reservoirs like so you know we've taken all this knowledge from guys that have been fishing you know i'll throw a ton of credit towards you know the older guys in the older generation because i paid attention to them um and I, and I took all the articles and the stuff that those guys have been, you know, writing about for 20, 30, 40 years. And I ingested all that information. And then now I had a tool at my disposal that I could go and really know in real time whether or not there are fish in those areas. Um, so it's, it's just made, you know, the average angler today is, I would say, 10 times better than they were honestly just 10 years ago like your average angler because at this point honestly your average angler still even if they don't have live is utilizing side imaging they're utilizing down imaging they're utilizing their 2d like 
all of us as anglers are so much more efficient at catching fish than we were, you know, in the not so distant past. Um, and it's just this progression, right? Like it's, it's this evolution of the fishing world. And, you know, I was just very fortunate to be like, as I got into fishing, you know, technology was increasing at a rate that like I've been able to grow with it very rapidly. And it, and it's benefited me, you know, tremendously over the years, you know, I've got at this point in my career, I think I've got five wins on the professional side of things. And then, um, I, I honestly couldn't even tell you how many top tens it's probably closing in on 30 or 40 somewhere in there. So it's, it's been just, uh, you know, a banner five, six years of just going out and, you know, the biggest part is just having fun. You know, you gotta, you gotta enjoy being out there. You gotta really truly love doing it. And and you gotta want to learn, right? Like you gotta want to learn the new technology. You gotta want to learn how to become a better angler. And, you know, in the world that we live in right now, you know, live scope's just part of that. Right. If you have any fishing memory or a fish that you would like to commemorate with a replica or you have questions about getting fish replicas done, reach out to Jamie Rizzavi from Rizzavi Taxidermy Studio in New Rockford, North Dakota. Jamie and his crew do next level work here at the JMO headquarters. We are blessed to have so many replicas made by Jamie. Reach out. You can find them on social media or online at RizzaviTaxidermyStudio.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. We talk about the fishing all the time on this show, but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer, which is way more than we ever talk about on this show, you can head to devilslakend.com and get all that. We're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community. There's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of Devil's Lake. Also, our favorite, the fishing tab. It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. This is the season for hunting and fishing opportunities in the state of North Dakota. If you hunt big game here, remember to do your part in protecting the herd. And that means knowing and following the regulations regarding chronic wasting disease here in the state of North Dakota, specifically the carcass disposal requirements. Any game carcass waste that is transported outside the hunting unit where the animal is harvested must be disposed of via a landfill or waste management provider, if you're hunting big game in North Dakota, it is your personal responsibility to educate yourself on these regulations and this information. Luckily for you, it's very simple. Just head down to the description of this podcast and click on the link. That is gf.nd.gov cwd. That's where you're going to get the information on the regulations and all information regarding chronic wasting disease in the state of North Dakota. Yeah. 
you know, if you could sort of put a finger on some of the skill development, whether it's, um, you know, early on, whether it's like a boat control thing or, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you utilize it without it setting you back in terms of time management? You know, how do you do things to be efficient? You know, going through settings, um, different, you know, scenarios like 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 if you could look at some of the, you know, the more, you know, the sort of the beginner's you know, skills that you got to focus on early um, and maybe put, if we could put our finger on a few of those things and maybe tell your personal story of what it was like for you to learn some of those things. I have my base level settings that I run. I'll just tell everyone for the guy. I know it off the top of my head. So for Garmin, like I run my noise reject on high. I run my TVG off. I run my ghost tree off. I run my color gain setting at between 70 and 80%. I run my gain somewhere between 65 and 80%, depending normally just on water depth or water clarity. Um, And then other than that, my forward range and my depth range are really the only two things I play with very much. And that's going to be kind of just based off of what type of structure am I fishing, you know, basin fishing, you can get away with, you know, you're fishing 20 feet of water and get away with looking a little bit further away from the boat. Um, when you're fishing weed beds, you got to definitely look closer because you want to kind of expand the screen. You know what I mean? Like there's going to be so much more detail in the screen of the weeds itself that seeing fish tucked in them, like you're going to want to kind of shrink your, your range in order to grow the size of what you're trying to look at on the screen. So like, you know, just that base level stuff, right? Like that's important to kind of just understand. You can get a ton of information from a ton of different sources online, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, like go learn that stuff. And then once that's kind of like taken care of, like that stuff is like so back burner for me. Like that's not, that's not what's going to make the big difference. Right. Like, so there's two main ways to run a live scope, right? Like, so, or live sonar. I mean, I'm going to say live scope cause I'm a guy. Yeah, that's guy. fine. Yeah. That's but fine. Anyway, I think everybody will be able to put those pieces together, whatever yeah. they got. Yeah. Yeah. So th- there's two ways to run live imaging, live scope, whatever. Um, you're either running it off a pole mount or you're running off of cable driven trolling motor, right? Those are the only two ways in my opinion that you can run it. Um, now, you can run it on an electric-driven trolling motor. I would not recommend it. If you're running some sort of electric drive, I would just put it on a pole and not waste your time. You know, other, like, the trolling motor aspect, like, if you're doing that route, it has to be a cable-driven, you know, foot pedal trolling motor. If you're going to do anything else, it's basically you're going to run a pole mount. There's a million different options out there. I don't really have a preference i mean each one kind of has their you know time and place and you know i've used all sorts of them so you know i don't really have like a specific one that i would recommend to anyone um but you know find one that works for you for the situation for your boat that kind of thing for the pull mount so i i personally run mine off of the trolling motor um number one reason is it's hands-free um when i'm running a foot pedal i have two hands to fish that gives me, you know, full control over my rod and reel at all times. Now, that works for great for fishing lakes and reservoirs and places without a lot of current. Um, 
there's times where I really wish I had a pole mount when I'm river fishing, where I would like to be, you know, up river of some sort of structure spot locked. And then I'd be able to look back down. So there, there's certain situation and aspects where our pole mount actually does have the advantage over like a trolling motor mounted, um, live imaging system. So, you know, it's kind of how do you fish, right? Like if you're the type of guy that you spend most of your day fishing, you're either at your council or in the back of the boat, a pole mount is probably going to benefit you the best, right? Like that's going to just fit into your style of fishing and stuff like that. See, I, me personally growing up and everything, like I was always the front of the boat kid. Like I was always the kid up in the front of the boat lures all over the place search search baiting right like i was always throwing a stick bait or throwing a crankbait or throwing a blade bait or throwing a jig and a plastic and trying to you know cover water so like for me i like it on my trolling motor because that's kind of just my wheelhouse that's where my office is um and then you know the biggest thing for anyone trying to learn it is you gotta just go out and do it like you got to go out and do it and you get, you're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to miss fish. You're going to make bad casts, but like, you know, the hand eye coordination is going to be something that is going to just come with time, you know, being able to look at your trolling motor head, look at your screen, say, okay, that fish is 60 feet in that direction and then make an accurate cast directly to 60 feet. That's not something that's going to happen overnight for anyone. Um, Obviously, there's certain people who, you know, their hand-eye coordination is just a little bit better, so they pick it up a little bit quicker. So there are people that really need to work on it. It takes them some time to do it. So, you know, the best part of, you know, the best thing you can do for yourself to try to get better at using anything or doing anything is you just got to do it more, right? It's, you know, the old rule of 10,000, right? You can't consider yourself a master of anything until you've done something for 10,000 hours. Well, I, I'm one of the first guys that has had live scope and I probably haven't even touched that mark yet. So like, I'm, you know, there's a lot of people that I, I book a ton of guide trips every year, specifically around teaching guys how to run their electronics and how to run specifically live scope. And with doing that, I still haven't gotten to that 10,000 hour mark of using that stuff. So, you know, and, and to say, you know, that the average guy is going to hit 10,000 hours, you know, that's a bold statement, but it, it's still like, you gotta, it, my point is you gotta put the time in, right. You gotta, totally. you gotta put the time in and just, you know, be willing to have days that aren't going to go well. You're going to fail. You're going to have times where you just, it it's frustrating. It's not working though. You want it to work or you're just not seeing fish. Well, you know, that's part of fishing, you know, that, like, everyone talks about live scope like it's this see all cheat code where you're gonna just go out and catch them every single time you go out and granted yes i think it has increased like as a as a general you know rule like i think it has increased my catch rate you know over when i didn't have live scope you know pre-live scope to now like i truly believe you know i catch more fish now part of that also is me progressing just as maturity as an angler too, you know, be getting better and understanding fish better and stuff like that. But like, it's not going to put them in the boat. You still have to do the right, you have to come up with the right tactic and the right, you know, presentation for that day on the water. And that can change throughout a day. You know, it's not a, it's not a given cheat code to just, 
you know, walk away with it kind of thing is, you know, it, it, it's a tool it, and it, it's up to us as anglers to utilize it correctly. I think, you know, over the last couple of years and I'm kind of just running down a rabbit hole right now, but no, like, it's good. I like it over, over the last couple of years, you've seen this big pushback against live scope and guys that are, you know, worried about it, you know, affecting fisheries and affecting fish and stuff like that. And, and I'll be a hundred percent honest with you guys, like, and this goes out to everyone that's listening to going to listen to this and you as well. Like it has, it truly has changed fish behavior. It has changed how fish react to boats and trolling motor noise. And that's okay. People want to act like that's a bad thing. It's not. If the fish's behavior changes, that's fine as long as the fish are still there. So my thing would be for everyone that's talking about, you know, live scope versus no live scope, the best thing that we can do for it is to teach and practice conservation and selective harvest so that we still have the fish there just because they get tougher to fish. That's inevitable. There's more people fishing over the last three to five years than there probably really has been in the last 40 years. Pressure on fish has increased regardless of the electronics we're using. It's our job as a you know, community of anglers, because that's what we're supposed to be as a community it's our job to take care of the ecosystem and the resource so that our future generations, you know, my kids, anyone else who has kids, they have something to look forward to. And that's on us. So like, you know, this whole like live scope versus not live scope, like, no, it's supposed to be fishermen for fishermen. Like if there's an issue with the technology, you know, wardens and and dnr agencies they are going to take the preventative steps to make sure you know if they dictate that it is an unfair way for us to you know harvest fish or catch fish they're going to take the steps that's not the job of us as anglers our job is to you know let's not even let it get to that point let's be preventive let's be proactive let's be smart about this is all i gotta say that's all i'm gonna say down that rabbit hole (laughs) yeah man no that's all good i mean you know, you're an ambassador in the industry, you work full-time, you're a pro, and, you know, your opinion is very, uh, you know, it comes from a place of experience, um, and you've had a lot of these conversations, so I can totally appreciate that. You know, you know, to, to keep kind of poking and prodding at you in your career and how you built confidence with this, because I think your stories, people are going to relate to them, whatever level they are of experience, learning forward sonar, or, or if they're trying to decide if they it's something that uh, is obtainable to them and it's something they want to get into. I think hearing your personal stories of kind of how you, you know, how you've come up with it um, and, and the, the skills that you developed, you know, you already, you were already an angler, you already had fishing skills, you already had things sort of, um, you know, developed, you weren't starting from square one in your career, but when you got it, it was sort of a starting line. It was like a new, you know, you, it was a born again situation for you. And so yep. I appreciate all that stuff. Now I would say this, you know, you kind of already, you kind of mentioned it. You were talking about you and Max fishing Leech Lake where you had your first like big win or your, your real big finish with it. But what would you say, whether it's that memory or a different experience, what would you say is, was more of a light bulb moment or a real significant um, you know, story or moment or time frame that you could really say is when you really felt the ultimate confidence. When you, when it, when it went from being sort of a workshop, uh, sort of a, a small tool in your toolbox to 
the tool in the toolbox? It, it, it probably was, it, it would have been that season, like that 2019 season towards the end of the season was when it became the tool. Like, um, you know, the, the first tournament that we really had success with it was uh, Green Bay. And then from Green Bay, we went to Devil's Lake. Like, we went, like, we took, like, a third, a seventh, and then we won. was, like, three tournaments in a row. So, like, that, I I would say that series of events, like, I I don't think, like, we were learning it all, but, like, as it was happening, you know, it happened so quick. Like, it was such a short time frame. Like, I mean, it all happened in a month, month and a half, something like that. So, like it's not like we have this giant time frame of time to like look at it and you know what I mean? Understand what was happening kind of deal. It was, you know, it was like, Oh wow, we had a really good finish. And then we go to the next one. Wow. We had another good finish and then we won it. And I, I think when we won it is when I really settled in the most was like, this is, this is something that like over the next, you know, X amount of years, whatever it was going to be at that time, like this is going to change fishing. This is going to, this is going to truly make an impact on, you know, specifically the competitive sport of fishing. And that was when like my personal decision to like really go all in on it, really start to learn it and put everything I had into just focusing on that, you know, that specific part of the fishing aspect. Right. Cause it was just, it it was so confidence inspiring to like know that I was casting at a fish, right? Like I, I, I knew that like every time I made a cast, I was putting my bait in front of a fish. Now, if I get denied 90% of the time, that's fine. It's still like my statistical odds I felt were better than if I just blind cast it all day kind of thing. Um, and, and again, there's certain situations and certain places and certain, you know, bodies of water that I've gone to where it, it doesn't work like that. You know, when we go to some place where there's just tons of, you know, rough fish or just a ton of junk fish around where it's really hard to differentiate what fish are what that that can be a situation where, you know, just lying in the water lure in the water time is going to win over trying to pick one fish out of you know, you got 300 fish on the screen. One of them's a walleye. Well, which one do you cast at? You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, it, it's, it's confidence in the electronics that they're telling me what I want to learn. And that, you know, that really, really was installed in, yeah, like 2019, I would say right at the end of it. And then, you know, 2020, the confidence grew even more. And then 21 was like, sky's the limit. I mean, I went on a, you know, just, a crazy tear on the head to head circuit, you know? Um, so that, and then, you know, 22 was a year for me. That was kind of a weird year for me fishing wise. Um, didn't have a lot of success on the tournament circuits in 2022. Uh, was kind of just going through some personal things. You know, I'd lost a really good buddy of mine that was, uh, you know, traveling with us for a couple of years. Mike Hansen passed away and that kind of messed with me a little bit. So 22, I was kind of just, out of it and then you know this year i kind of you know started off a little slow and then kind of found uh found my rhythm towards the end of the summer and finished out strong but you know it's confidence in fishing is just a huge thing in general like you know 
everyone has their confidence lure. Everyone has their confidence spot on their home body of water. Like it, it is such an important factor, especially in the professional side of things in the tournament side of things. Like you got to be confident going into an event or else, you know, the issue is you're going up against, you know, probably a hundred other guys where, you know, most of them are feeling pretty confident going into it. You know, they're feeling good about their day and, or they hope, you know, they're, they're hoping they will be by the end of practice. So, you know, confidence with what you're using just comes from time using it again, you know, kind of circle back like time on the water to utilize your stuff to get the confidence in it that you, you know, for example, with electronics, you know what you're looking at. Or when it comes to, you know, bait selection and choices like that, you know, you're confident that, you know, I got this, you know, paddle tail on that I'm, you know, a fan of in this certain color. And, you know, I know that if I cast it long enough in this spot or at enough fish marks that I see on my live imaging, like I'm going to catch a fish. That's just kind of the gist of fishing, right? Like, um, you know, like the split second you start losing confidence is when you got to start, you know, start changing stuff a little bit, try to rebuild it kind of deal. If you were to look at, you know, conf, talking about confidence, any confidence that you had, if you look back in your career, you know, right up until like forward sonar really became a thing for you, right up until you became a forward sonar guy, you know, where, where it became the tool in the toolbox. If you were to look at your fishing strategy, your fishing you know, the techniques, uh, the details, like your confidence. What are some things or what would be something that was a big part of your arsenal or a big part of your mindset, a big part of your thought process or something that you assume to be true that forward sonar has forced you to leave behind? I would say the reaction bite theory is, is, uh, like that or not a reaction but like that you can trigger a bite i i think that theory has been left behind for me i i believe that there are active fish and inactive fish and active fish are going to eat almost all the time regardless of what you put in front of them you know like obviously like like tactic itself like, like i don't think that like just because you're ripping a jig wrap is that that's triggering a bite like they want to eat a jig wrap right and like when you're on a good jig wrap bite the fish are just active and they're eating the jig wrap but like if you go and you find fish that are inactive like truly inactive i i don't care how many times you put a bait in front of them i don't care how many times you change baits you are not going to catch those fish like if fish are not hungry and willing to fire i don't care what you think you're gonna do or what you're gonna try to do like you are not gonna get them to eat like a prime example from that would be like we went to mcconaughey in nebraska with head to head and we were ripping jigging spoons right like big slab spoons one ounces in like 35 30 to 40 feet of water and you know, a spoon like rip jigging like that would be probably considered, you know, a reaction type lure, right? Oh yeah. Well, I was sitting over the top of a thousand fish for five hours, two days in a row, and I caught three. <laughs> like, I they 
it was not a oh like I'm try like it didn't matter what I put down there. I could try a jig wrap, didn't matter. Could try a spoon, didn't matter. They just didn't want to eat. They were eating at night, they were eating, you know, super late in the day or super early in the morning, you know, outside of tournament hours. Like during tournament hours, those fish did not want to eat. It did not matter what I did, did not matter the presentation I gave them. I you know, I was only gonna get a bite every now and then because one fish out of a hundred and fifty or two hundred at a time would be just so happened to be active and I'd catch that fish. So like this theory of like you can trigger inactive fish to bite is that is such a fa- fallacy and I I that is dead and gone to me. Like to me, it's all about now like when it comes to live imaging, like for me it's a stats game. If you're going to put your bait in front of 200 fish in a day, I want to put my bait in front of 400. If you're going to put your bait in front of 300, I'm going to put it in front of 600. Like, right? Like, I'm going to try to be more efficient, more effective, and cover more water and get in front of more fish. Um, now, that doesn't always... That, that, that I Okay. That's circumstantial, like in, in terms of like certain bodies of water, you can do that, but there's obviously other places that like, you know, that's not a thing, you know, if you're fishing for sure, if you're you're fishing for five bites in a day and you're, you know, only going to see five marks that you want to catch, you're not going to be doing that. Like, but like, you know, Green Bay, for example, like we have, you know, schools of 20, 30 fish that are all 26 inches better like i you know for when i'm fishing back home on green bay for me when i'm tournament fishing it's all about i want to put my bait in front of more fish because that's more opportunities for an active fish to be there and i can catch it so that that's a general rule in thumb i would say i would say that's a better rule for like an everything counts tournament like head to head um the big five tournament style that's a little different because sometimes there's times where you do have to just sit in a spot and you know there's only a dozen of them in there that area there's only 10 or 12 of them and you're going to just rotate through that 10 or 12 and hope that you know five of them get active at some point you know what i mean so yeah because it's all about the right fish it's all about the right fish in that scenario of, I guess my whole point of the situation is, you, again, to just kind of circle back. You're not going to, you, by doing a certain jigging cadence or something like that, are not going to take an inactive fish and make it into an active fish. A fish, I think, goes through activity levels that change throughout a day, right? We call them bite windows, you know. You get a bite window in the morning, you get a midday bite window in an evening. Like, that's pretty typical for walleye fishing, you know. You'll get a pretty solid morning bite might be an hour might be three hours you get a you know a quick usual middle of the day somewhere right around lunchtime you'll get a you know half hour or 45 minute window and then the evening bite can be you know start sometimes the evening bite will start at three o'clock sometimes the evening bite won't start till 15 minutes before dark you know so you know activity levels of fish dictate when you're going to catch the most fish not you know presentation and triggering bites would be kind of to circle back and answer the question, that would be my opinion in terms of what oh, I've yeah. kind of left in the past. No, man, so. I think a lot of people relate to that, you know, and like you said, it's very situation. Fishing is so situational and circumstantial, you know, as the anglers, you know, like you, you just got to find those things that you can relate to. You got to think about your own body of water and think, you know, okay, what's Isaac saying? You know, I mean, I, you know, you gotta, I don't you, you get over to Wisconsin. Oh yeah. Every day is different. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
yeah, you're reading the day. Like you're reading the day. You're reading the body of water. Like you have to, be, like you got to be making constant adjustments when fi- fishing is the art of like adjusting and making good decisions. Like that, like that dictates the difference between having you know good days on the water and bad days on the water. And some days they're just going to be bad days. I'll tell you this: I zero more than. 95% of people that fish because I'm on the water more than 95% of people. Like I guarantee you, I have had more days this past season where I didn't catch a walleye or I didn't catch a fish for eight, 12 hours. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like there's this fallacy that, you know, Oh, we're pros. And we, every time we go out, we just pound the crap out of them. No, we all struggle. We all, you know, I struggle. Probably That's when you learn though, huh? Right, right. You start learning what not to do or like, okay, I got my teeth kicked in this day. I talked to that guy at the ramp who slammed him. Okay, cool. What were you doing? You know, try to get a little bit of info out of him. And, you know, some guys will share and some guys won't. But, like, you know, you you got to just, I don't know, it's all a learning experience. Yeah. Well, man, I love it. I love the takeaways, you know, just regardless of what anybody else's story is, you got to get out and do it and experience it for yourself. And time on the water is just irreplaceable. I love that message, you know, early on. And I, I, I really love, you know, that last point of, you know, for, for somebody that, you know, fished with a ton of confidence prior to forward sonar, but yet, you know, you, you have that open mind, you're always out to learn and you're humble enough to know what you got to leave behind, even if it is one of your, even if it was a strength, even if it was a source of confidence prior, but you've learned, you know, uh, uh, how to just cycle through fish and look for the active ones, look for the ones that are ready to eat. Maybe you got to circle back on a school of fish, but don't sit and, and assume that you can create bites that just aren't there. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are going to, you know, people may agree or disagree with that. Um, you know, like you say, it's just, everybody's different, but yeah, everything that I, I mean, I'll, you know, as we're kind of wrapping this up here, like I'll, I'll kind of, you know, one of the last things I'll say is everything that I've said is my opinion, right? Like I'm entitled to that, but I'm not right all the time. And if you have situations that you think that, you know, I'm wrong. Honestly, I want to hear about it because that's how I become better. And that's how I learn. Like I want, I think one of my strongest attributes as like an angler is the fact that I can take like criticism and I can take parts from other people's game. Right. Like I'll, I I don't want to say steal, but like I'll learn from my own mistakes. And then I will also like and watching other people do things or watching other anglers next to me or what, you know, hearing about from other anglers or talking to other anglers at launches or rules meetings or whatever. Like I'm always trying to learn. And I think that's, if, if anyone takes anything away from the, kind of this whole conversation, the best thing to make yourself a better angler is to never stop trying to learn something new every single day you hit the water. Yeah. That w- that is, that is the way that truly like, for the young guys listening that are, you know, hey, I want to maybe start getting into tournaments, that's, like, number one. Like, you have to be trying to learn something every single day and trying to learn something new and pushing limits and pushing boundaries. And you know what I mean? Like, you just constantly, if you are constantly chasing that, you're not, you know, I don't chase trophies. I chase, you know, knowledge and I chase trying to beat the fish every day you know what i mean like i want to like my victories for me personally are when i beat 
the water, not my competitors kind of deal. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I love it. I like that stuff. I like I like paying attention to the tournament world. Again, it's just me repeating myself, but I, I enjoy watching you guys when you're operating on a high level. It's it's not something that I, I don't even know that it really fancies me that much to ever, you know, uh, uh, learn forward sonar to the point where I would, you know, compete with it. I just like fishing and I like learning. And, you know, nobody, mm-hmm. nobody pays, um, very few people are going to pay as much tuition, uh, than you guys that are out there putting your own skin in the game. You're competing, you're putting your name out there, you're putting your neck on the line, you travel across the country, you're constantly fishing new bodies of water or bodies of water that are just, you know, it's a different time of year. Like the, it's so situational and you're fishing bad weather, uh, because you know, you, you can't just plan tournaments around good weather. Like all that stuff, I think just sort of culminates and just great conversations like this and some really great takeaways and I love the stories I think that the stories are you know they're entertaining and uh, but also it's just educational and relatable to hear what somebody like you you know where you come from and and uh, just sort of how you how you learn and where all that sort of comes from and uh, yeah definitely some takeaways for me big time man Isaac but yeah like you said we're let's wrap this thing up man we're definitely we're a good time here if we were to start a new portion of this conversation it'd be a a whole nother podcast and we'll have to do that definitely sometime but um that being said man, yeah dude for sure for sure man um and we're coming into a new season here so we're going to be talking other stuff but you know getting into next spring uh probably be hitting you up and just kind of see what you've been up to all winter and stuff like that but that being said man let's wrap it up anything else you want to add go ahead otherwise just kind of promote yourself if anybody ever wants to follow along on your with your exploits or anybody that wants to just see what you're up to or or has questions um where can they find you yeah anyone you know looking to you know learn more you know follow along on my adventures or you know wants to talk i mean i'm i'm very willing to you know respond to people i try to reply to every every facebook or instagram message i get and i try to be as honest as possible with everyone i can um you know follow me on instagram or facebook that's like the two easiest plat social media platforms um, it, it's Isaac Lockett fishing for both, uh, on Instagram, it's all just connected and on Facebook, it's got spaces in it, but you know, it, you know, follow me on one of those two platforms. Um, I'm always doing, you know, some sort of gear giveaway throughout the year. So if you guys, you know, like getting a free rod or a free guide trip with me on green Bay, you know, that's a good, that's going to be the place where that could happen. Um, if you guys are interested in guide trips and stuff, you can find all my, you know, my email, my phone number and stuff on that. So if you guys want to make it out and fish Green Bay with me and try to chase a, you know, a trophy walleye around or a trophy bass or something, um, you know, let me know, get a hold of me. Uh, I, you know, my schedule fills up pretty quick. It's already filling up for next year. So, you know, if you're looking at something, especially weekend dates, definitely get a hold of me sooner than later. Um, other than that, you know, just I, thanks to you guys, you know, thanks Taylor for having me on, um, super, super great time, super fun and love talking about, you know, fishing. It's just, it's a passion of mine. I love doing it. Hope to be doing it for a long time. Um, you know, thanks to all, you know, my sponsors, your guys' sponsors for, you know, allowing us to be able to put this, this stuff on and, you know, create content for all those great people out there. They're going to listen to it. So I'll let you go for real this time, man. 